Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome to another edition of Corner Kick. We're going global. Uh, it's time to talk about the World Cup. And you know, as much as I have really disliked the international breaks over the last couple of years, <laughs> it's kind of a relief to sort of see that they actually meant something uh, to a certain extent. So uh, I am Nathan Strauss, and I'm joined by a man who will not be heating up the balls for tomorrow morning's draw um, somewhere, probably. Uh, in Zurich or or Bern or Doha, who knows? But we are joined by a man who will not be playing any part in that. Uh, it is Caleb Rhodes. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> it's going. It's going great. Uh, it's going great. Caleb, I know you're a little tired having just come back from a whirlwind tour of Newark, New Jersey. Uh, but fortunately, uh, we don't have to discuss any of the uh, anything about New Jersey on this podcast. But we may as well start close to home because after what was maybe the most traumatic uh, soccer experience of either of our lives um, a couple of years ago, the United States back in the World Cup in very United States fashion. They did it, uh, they qualified while losing 2-0 in Costa Rica, uh, but they had really done their job. Uh, you know, they took a point at the Azteca last Wednesday uh, before picking up a big win, a, hu- a dominant win at home to the Canaleros of Panama um, the previous weekend, uh, you know, they would have had to lose, I think like seven, nothing or six, nothing. I think it was, the, I think it was a five nil swing by the end right. of it. Right. <laughs> um, but, but the United States are back, um, in the world cup. And I think that is just super, super important, um, you know, for, for the nation, uh, even though it was expected, I think we, uh, can certainly celebrate it here on corner kick. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm incredibly happy. Um, the last four years or four years ago was a pretty crappy time. And, you know, it was early in both of our college experiences and my friends who care less about soccer, you know, made lots of fun of me by one of my friends who will remain nameless, although he knows who he is. Um, (laughs) Printed out a bunch of Trinidad and Tobago flags and hid them all over my, my room. So I would like open up my like dresser and there'd be like a Trinidad and Tobago flag there. Um, or I'd like pull out like, I don't know, a pair of socks and there'd be a Trinidad and Tobago flag beneath. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best of times. Um, and it, it really was the worst of times. So definitely great to see them back. And this is a good redemption arc. Although I think we need to have a kind of like reality check conversation um too about this team but maybe there are some more like plaudits to hand out you know before we before we get there yeah i think i think we it's going to be very difficult based on you know depending on the group that the u.s gets and also depending on injuries um but you know the actual tournament right now is six months away uh well actually a little bit more than that it's more like nine months away um so but you know other other qualifiers from Concacaf are mexico and canada it's still pretty astounding that even in what has been called the worst Mexico team of the last 30 years, they still managed to get 28 points. Uh, you know, they picked up two points per game 
over uh, the the 14 game octagonal, uh, and then Costa Rica, whose fate had basically been sealed before uh, facing the United States, uh, will end up playing in that playoff uh, against, I believe, New Zealand. New Zealand, I think. Yeah, oh, beat the Solomon um, Isles. Yeah, the- uh, <laughs> never never saw that coming. Uh, no, it's funny you mentioned that about Mexico. Yeah, the wor- quote unquote worst Mexican team in decades finishing above the quote unquote, you know, I don't know if best American team, but in theory, most promising on paper American team perhaps ever. Um, so I think there's some interesting sort of like media distortions going on there, but certainly, you know, Mexico and Tata Martino will be happy to have sort of edged it in. Um, I think they would have been slightly more nervous had the USA been able to sort of break the deadlock against them earlier in this international break. But I do want to spend a few moments talking about, you know, Canada as well. Their first time in the World Cup in what, 20 years? Do I have that right? Or is it longer than that? Uh, It's their first time in the World Cup since, uh, it might have been 1986. Okay. Uh, Let me, I'm going to double check that. Um, but but yeah, go ahead with your with your Canada. Whatever it it has been, it has been somewhere between two to four decades. Yes, eighty six, eighty six. Okay, so it's been it's been almost four decades since Canada have been in the World Cup, and I think, you know, for a while they've of those three teams been a bit of a punching bag, um, but they have, and we've talked about this before in previous international breaks, have just looked really really good. They got it done, you know, now without. Uh, even having Alfonso Davies. And I think there will be a lot of sort of, you know, good vibes coming from this country. And I think they also have a young-ish core um, or at least a few young players that will continue to come into their own ahead of the 2026 World Cup as well. So I think, you know, we have this trio of CONCACAF teams that are all in, you know, at least respectable places um, as we build up to this World Cup and then, you know, the significantly more important World Cup after that. Yeah. And the thing about Mexico um, is that, you know, they have a talent pool that will always be at a certain, like their floor is much higher than I think any other team in CONCACAF. Um, Whereas I actually think the ceiling of the United States and Canada might be slightly higher than this current Mexico side ceiling. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, getting all three teams into the World Cup without needing a playoff before um, you know, hosting in 2026 is is a huge deal. And Costa Rica, I think, should have a pretty good chance against uh, New Zealand in that uh, qualifying game, which I think is in early June uh, to determine uh, their spot. The team's not qualifying. Panama, Jamaica, El Salvador, Honduras, uh, none of none of whom I think are, I think, you know, it sort of went to scratch, uh, maybe not the, the most conventional order of teams, um, but uh, it did end up, you know, featuring the best three teams in the, in the, in the, in the region, uh, in common bowl, which is, you know, in my opinion, far and away, the most difficult qualifying schedule, um, the top four teams who, who qualified automatically Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, and Ecuador, uh, made it a little nervous because there were some undecided places going into this last break. Brazil beat the absolute crap out of everyone. It did not matter whether they were playing, 10,000 feet above sea level in La Paz. Um, it did not matter if they were playing like their C team. They rolled through what is easily, in my mind, the hardest uh, the hardest qualifying for the World Cup. Um, but 
some big names miss out Colombia and Chile, who both, I think, rode golden generations through the most of the 2010s. They both were eliminated. Um, and Peru will play uh, the winner of Australia and the United Arab Emirates to determine the last qualifier uh, in the World Cup. But um, as far as a top four goes, Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, and Ecuador, plenty of storylines to work with from those four. Yeah, as you said, Conorville is incredibly difficult. You know, I think almost uh, maybe, maybe you know, sans like the bottom three teams, I think almost any of these teams could pretty easily lead uh, CONCACAF just to give a sense of, you know, range. But Brazil have been excellent. Um, I think Brazil is pretty much the only place where Neymar looks kind of, you know, good um, or looks motivated. And I think the World Cup is something that he still cares deeply about succeeding in. Um, and, you know, this is probably the last chance for him to do it when he's at, you know, the most peak of his powers, so to speak, even though I think he's sort of past peak um, career-wise. Argentina, though, you know, also generally kept pace with Brazil. Um, you know, they finished six points off with 39 points, but we're still 11 points ahead of the trailing pack. And so it'll be interesting to see what Messi can do with this Copa America, you know, champion team in what is almost certainly his final World Cup as well. I mean, he's already retired what, from the national team twice at this point. It's hard to imagine as he gets older, he's what, 35 now. Um, he'll, he'll be playing in another one at 39. Um, but who knows? And then Uruguay, you know, kind of got in by the skin of their teeth. They yeah. finished with. <laughs> I mean, uh, I could talk. I, I actually, I, I've been watching most of Uruguay's games because yeah. as you know, I'm, I've, I've been a Uruguay fan for a long time and for a number of yeah. reasons, but they had a really interesting run where they started off unbeaten and qualifying for like three complete international breaks. And then they hit the common bowl, you know, run of games where they were playing uh, at home to Argentina and Brazil away yeah. at Argentina and then away uh, at Bolivia. And yeah. they lost all four of those games and they were in sixth place after that. But yeah. then, um, you know, since in, in the calendar year, 2022, uh, they've only allowed one goal and they beat Paraguay, Venezuela, Peru and Chile in, in quick succession to um, secure their position. And I think they're going to be in pot two. Uh, which is, and we'll talk about this when we get to the, the draw aspect, but they are not going to be a fun team to play. Um, and, you know, obviously they've got the waning influence of players like Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani, but they also have guys like Diego Rossi and, and Darwin Nunez, who I think will make them a little bit more interesting and maybe fun to watch in coming years. But we can talk about mm. them um, in the context of the draw in a little bit. Peru uh, facing either UAE or Australia, I think might have a slightly trickier time uh, than Costa Rica in that playoff game. But they yeah. do have a pretty experienced squad. They just don't have the goals. They get a lot of midfield goals from guys, uh, you know, guys like Christian Cueva, who's now, I guess, playing in Saudi Arabia, uh, <laughs> which I just learned. Um, or even like ex-MLS guys like Yoshimar Yatun. Uh, mm -hmm. who went, moved back to Peru after playing um, in, at Orlando City in Cruz Azul. So I don't know. We'll keep an eye on that one. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me. They do have um, Pedro Gallese, the octopus, El Pulpo, uh, in goal, who's <laughs> one of those like 
MLS legends, like, because for whatever reason, the MLS produces a ton of really good goalies. Um, but uh, we may as well move on uh, to the AFC quickly, just to go over the teams that qualified directly. Iran, yeah. South Korea, both advance automatically. Um, Iran are always a really fun team, or I have found them to be a fun team going all the way back uh, to that game against Argentina, where yep. they nearly pulled it out, and then Messi scored that banger from outside the box. Yep. Fourteen, as he is wont to do, it happens. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but sorry, continue, continue. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're led by Dragan Skocic. Obviously, they previously had Carlos Quiroz as their as their manager, I believe, and um, they're a really fun team to watch. They've obviously got sort of corner kick legend Ali Reza Jahan Baksh, who, mm-hmm. who chips in with the goals, but. Sardar Azmoon, who plays now for Bayer Leverkusen, has scored like almost a goal per game for them. Um, and he's again another one of those players who like really shines in the national stage. So he lead all like World Cup qualifying in goals. Yeah, in goals. Yeah, he does. Uh, and you know, Iran, as far as being a pot three team, are gonna make someone very unhappy. Uh, South Korea are expected to qualify, and they did. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Japan both qualified ahead of Australia. Um, meaning Australia needs that playoff, like we mentioned. I suppose it's a logical side effect for Saudi Arabia when it comes to, uh, well, first of all, they have Irv Renard, who is a, a very successful head coach in AFCON, who led Morocco for a number of years. Um, he's like a qualifying merchant. And then they have a squad uh, that is full of players. You know, they, they only use domestic players uh, in Saudi Arabia, but a squad full of talent there who I think have benefited from uh, sustained investment. I'm not sure how much noise they can make at the World Cup, but finishing with 25 points, um, you know, in qualifying is is a pretty big deal. Or sorry, 23 points ahead of Japan is a pretty big deal. Yeah, I agree. I think there's been a lot of improvement generally amongst some of these Middle Eastern teams um, ahead of this World Cup, and that's I think shown up. In, in qualifying. I mean, Japan and Australia are two teams that you normally think of as, you know, some of the, the quick qualifiers out of AFC. Um, but Saudi Arabia, I think, have invested a lot in football in, in the past, you know, decade or so. Um, and it's starting to turn into results. And I think in general, AFC might be one of the regions that is becoming generally more competitive over time. Um, and I'm not sure that Australia is necessarily keeping yeah. up with, with the development. I mean, I'm not sure Australia has ever really had what we might consider, you know, a golden generation. But I feel like, you know, the A-League's been around for a bit. It briefly, you know, tried to do a little bit of an MLS thing. Like, what was it? Del Piero went there um, for a few years. But even compared to the J-League, I don't think it has the same draw or attention. I think... Australia as a soccer nation um, seems to be sort of stalling out a little bit and that if they can't maintain this level or improve, you know, some of these other teams that are investing a lot, even like a China, for instance, might in the sort of decades to come uh, start to surpass them. No, I was sort of curious when I saw that Australia, because I mean, it's hard to watch a lot of their qualifying games because they're played, you know, 12 hours ahead or 11 hours ahead. But I realized that, you know, the golden generation for them didn't exactly score a lot of goals. They obviously had Mark Schwartzer, who's their all-time most capped player in goal. They had right. Tim Cahill, who you know was an attacking midfielder but played as a striker for them, who scored almost a goal per game and scored 
one of the nicer goals in World Cup history true. Uh, with that volley back in the day. Yeah. And then their teams were comprised of guys like Mila Yedinak, who was like a totally fine <laughs> player for like very bad Crystal Palace teams in like the early 2010s, if you remember those. Uh, and then yeah. a bunch of like lesser, you know, even guys like, <laughs> like the guys who they, they, they produce a lot of goalies, like Matty Ryan, who, you know, briefly was at Arsenal. Um, uh, Danny Vukovic, who has been around for a really long time. Uh, but then, you know, you look at the fact that like, oh, shoot, like they're leading, maybe their most like rec- recognizable player up top is like Matthew Leckie, who had that sixth season for, oh, was it, did he play for Newcastle or was it Frankfurt or he played, he played in, in Germany played, for a really long time. He played in the Bundesliga for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Is and he back like, in Australia or is he now? No, I think he's, I think he's back in Australia for um, playing for like Melbourne city, maybe. Um, but wow. then you look at the fact that like their most hyped youth prospects, like a guy like Daniel Arzani, who was like in the next gen, like top 50 wonder kids of like four years ago, he's on loan in Australia from Man City, um, yeah. which is not, or actually, sorry, he's in Belgium now, but he was there. So again, it's, they've sort of stalled out and, you know, guys like Aaron Moy, who were once better than they are now in their early thirties. Um, right. But, but I think, right. I think dropped the, the, off a lot. And I think the point is they've never had you know, a single player really who reached like the high heights. And I'm not saying that like Saudi Arabia has a player like that right now. They don't. But I mean, like even like South Korea has Son. Japan has had a lot of, you know, really big name players like, you know, Kagawa or Kaisuke Honda. Um, Oh, so man. Honda used to be so much fun to watch. Uh, but my, yeah, I mean, my I point is, right. my point is like, you know, like Cahill was, was a very good and very, I think, you know, you know, a quality Premier League player for over a decade. And that is good. But he still played for, you know, Everton, who throughout that period, that was probably like the most stable period of Everton as basically like a team that finished in roughly eighth place every year. But the point is they still weren't generally competing in European competition. Right. He wasn't leading the league or getting close to the top in goals or assists. Like he could play in the league, but he wasn't a star by any right. means. And and shout out by the way, Archie Thompson, uh, who scored you know a goal every two games for Australia. He's like their fourth all-time leading scorer. But I was thinking when I was looking this up, why do I remember the name Archie Thompson? And it's because he scored thirteen goals in Australia's thirty-one nothing victory against Australia American Samoa. American Samoa <laughs> back in two thousand one. And I, if you haven't seen the highlights for this game. You should watch it because it is just hilarious. It's on YouTube. I think it's the largest FIFA sanctioned. Uh, it's the largest margin of victory in a FIFA sanctioned match of all time. But he scored 13 yeah. goals uh, in that game, which obviously when you're when you've scored 55 goals, it's like a quarter of the goals that he scored in his career. Which is um, just insane because you think like, like I know America. Like I don't know how many people live on American in the American Samoas. But I'm just trying to imagine why they would necessarily be like that much worse than like the Faroe Islands or something like that, right? Yeah. And like to the, to the I, point where they can get beat by Australia by like what was it, thirty goals? Whatever Thirty-one nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It, when like Faroe Islands or you know Gibraltar or whatever are getting beat, you know, like eight nil by Germany. You know what I mean? Like it just shows like there, there's like a pretty it, it's there's levels to this. Um, yeah, which is which is crazy, and um, it's funny too, just because I feel like you know when you look <laughs> up when you look up the early international games, like you look at like I don't know, 
I'll just make it up. I don't have it in front of me. Like Italy's first international. And, you know, it might be some like crazy score or like you look at their biggest score, you know, ever. And it came in like 1942, right? Um, or probably not 1942. That was probably not the best pick of year, <laughs> but a long, a long time ago. And you just it's don't so think of, I know, I, I was just thinking a long time ago. At, I landed on 1942 and I don't imagine Italy were playing that many international matches. But um, you, you just don't think of these scorelines still happening, which is why it's so shocking and why uh, this, this kind of somewhat random guy's name has just like burned itself in your mind, even though for the most part, he's so far away from, from your consciousness. Yeah, you're looking at a guy whose like biggest contribution in the soccer world was with Melbourne Victory and like the A League before it was the A League as we know it now. Right. So right. yeah, it's it's super it's super funny. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we did just get sort of sidetracked on that, but I, I do think that it's it is kind of funny uh, to think about um, because it's just hilarious that um, you know we end up talking about that UAE and Australia both having to play in qualifying games. Um, again, I'm not sold that either of them will win them. Uh, but you know, it, it sort of is what it is. UAE has a couple of naturalized, uh, players from South America or initially from South America that they can choose from. But again, their entire, uh, their entire team plays domestically, uh, there. And I guess that brings us to Europe, which I, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something, uh, but yeah. Yeah, so the, play, the the teams that qualified, uh, you know, you have the winners of the group. So England, Serbia, Spain, Croatia, Belgium, France, Denmark, Germany, Switzerland, and Netherlands. Mm. Portugal and Poland Ugh. also qualified. Yeah. So it's certainly, um, you know, they send they send plenty of uh, plenty of people, or rather, plenty of teams there. Mm-hmm. But some big names that didn't qualify. Oh God. I mean, we got to start by talking about Italy, who oh. won the Euros last summer at their home stadium, who fell to a banger of a goal uh, to yeah. Alexander Tchaikovsky of North Macedonia. But in the 92nd minute. minute, but it's now been 12 years since Italy's made a World Cup, which is absolutely insane um, well, for where Italy is in terms of the global soccer landscape. Is it since they've made a World Cup or since they've made a knockout stage? Uh, since they've been a knockout stage, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. They, they've missed out on qualifying. They, the last they were in. Cups. They were in the 2010 World Cup. That was the last. Oh wait, no. Were they in the 2014 World Cup? Were yes. they in 2014? Yeah. So they've missed out now on 2018. But they they just haven't year. made it to a knockout game since they literally won the World Cup. Yes. <laughs> and I was. We were both, you know, in the second grade. Right, which is crazy. I was actually That's... in Italy when they won that game. Uh, believe it or not. And I wish wow. that I'd been a little bit older because yes. I'm sure it would have been, you know, there would have been celebrations on the streets of yes. Farnese, Viterbo and Lazio. For sure. But my uh, dad, of course, was in Italy for this game. So I think there are a, f- a few fewer celebrations um, on this one. I think, ah, I mean, where, where to begin, right? Italy took 32 shots in this game, but only created one big chance. They only had five shots on target, so they, they didn't really... They, they weren't just like lighting up the goal all that much, although they still had almost unexpected goals of three. North Macedonia had four total shots and scored a you know, pretty speculative one. And I think you got to say, like, Italy just need to do better um, than this. That's not like the most you know, impressive take ever. 
But I think for whatever reason, you know, Chiro Immobile just doesn't really get it done on the international stage, even though he remains as prolific as ever for Lazio with, you know, 21 goals in 25 games in Serie A. I think this team is missing the, you know, dribbling and sort of just verticality of someone like Chiesa, who I think, especially in the Euros, you know, it was when he started over Berardi, who I actually had a fine game in this one, that you saw them at their best. And I think, you know, it raises a few questions, like how did the team that make and won the Euro finals that only lost two games in the last four years, once to Spain and once to North Macedonia today, how did they not make the Euros? And the fact of the matter is they drew four of their eight qualifying games in a group that was not that difficult in general. And so you kind of have to say they put themselves in this position. Like they finished behind Switzerland and the rest of the group was Northern Ireland, Bulgaria, and Lithuania. There should be at least six wins there over Northern Ireland, Bulgaria, and Lithuania. Um, and unfortunately, this is just kind of how it works. I am somewhat sympathetic to the idea that perhaps, and maybe support even, that the, that the winner of the European competition should sort of get an automatic spot um, in Europe, but that that's not how it works. And they simply didn't get it done when they had every opportunity to. And so this is kind of what happens. But I think it does send them back to the drawing board a little bit because a lot of their players are not especially young and the core of this team will be sort of past 30 um, by the time the next World Cup rolls around. Yeah, again, I mean, it's hard to, you can, uh, there were a lot of complaints about the pathway that both of these teams had to take, you know, in terms of the playoffs to qualify to the World Cup because had Italy won, they would have had to face Portugal, who I think also would have beaten them, um, which, and, but at the end of the day, like, win your qualifying games against these smaller teams like that's not i have I, again i have no really no sympathy for italy who have all of the abilities to develop players um, that other countries don't and shout out for north macedonia who uh you know even though they didn't end up qualifying against portugal they i think still did a good gave a good account of themselves and they're a team that has some some pretty recognizable talent uh even you know in the absence of goran pandev who i think was probably the most noteworthy uh, Macedonian player of, of our day. Yeah. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the 12 teams, or rather the 13 teams who qualified from, uh, from Europe, because we still don't know uh, the status of either Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. Um, yeah. Obviously, Ukraine uh, did not play this last, this last time. Um, so Ukraine will play Scotland. The winner of that game uh, will take on Wales, for the final spot for UEFA, um, whichever one of those team teams comes through, uh, I think will end up in they will automatically rather end up in, in pot four for tomorrow's draw. But the font's um, gonna have to be so small on the, <laughs> on the I, piece I, of paper. I think I think they'll just put <laughs> UEFA probably because you know UEFA teams don't get playoffs, um, you know, against other places. But that brings us to Afcon, which again has a really difficult. Uh, qualifying structure because of how high the, the level of soccer is there. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that Nick couldn't join us for this one uh, because there was certainly some drama, uh, uh. but the teams that uh, the teams that advanced uh, Senegal, Morocco, Tunisia, Cameroon, and Ghana. Again, I think 
of the 10 teams that made this final round of qualifying, any one of them could have been in with a shout. Uh, but Morocco makes another World Cup. They, again, gave a pretty good account of themselves last time out and probably should have ended up um, advancing. They got some really terrible VAR decisions or lack yeah. of VAR decisions um, against Iran and Spain and back Spain. in the day. Um, mm. But I think we have to talk for a second about the Senegal-Egypt match. Uh, because the, the not only not only was this a rematch of the AFCON final from like six weeks ago, but just like the most comical international football buffoonery from fans in this one uh, produced some crazy images. But yeah, I mean, just just absolutely crazy stuff. Yeah. So in the so the way AFCON works, these final games, it's it's a two two game tie. And so Egypt entered this one leading uh, 1-0. But Bouleg Dia of Villarreal, who I think has been quietly or not so quietly had, I think, a pretty solid uh, season as a new signing for Villarreal. Not quite as good as Dan Juma, but, but still pretty good. Scored in the third minute. Um, in the end, though, it went to penalties once again, which is just kind of nuts. Um, and Egypt never really score. Uh, <laughs> I think Nick sent us that stat, or maybe you did, that they'd only scored. They score like 0.9 goals a game, basically. Yeah, they, they um, had scored. They had scored over one goal in just one of their last 11 games, which, yeah. you know, again, draws don't cut it, um, especially especially when you when you just lost a cup final on penalties. You don't want to go there again against the exact same team with the exact same goalie. So. Right. But so it goes to the penalty shootout and I'm not the first person to make this observation. I think a lot of people on, on Twitter <laughs> likened it to like an EDM uh, light show. Obviously lasers have always been a bit of an issue in soccer. They're not that hard to get into a stadium um, and they, they go over fairly long distances. And so you can just shine them in people's eyes. But Mo Salah was just green. Like he, he was literally, his whole face was green and moments after probably being blinded, uh, he blazed his shot over the bar. Egypt lost. Um, you know, Senegal have gotten the, the, the job done over Egypt twice, but I think this is, it's not their fault, but I think it's, it's a pretty poor showing from their fans um, and, and just kind of, disrespectful in a lot of ways. And I feel really bad for Mo Salah, especially um, who pictures had already started being circulated of promotional photos of him with the new world cup ball. And those just see him, you know, especially cruel right now. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's unfortunate for Mo Salah because he is at the stage in his career where, you know, the next world cup qualifying cycle will probably be his last, but he will again be in his early 30s then and slightly out of his prime. Um, but I mean, shout out Senegal, who are a team that is going to be, again, very tough to play against. Uh, other sort of notables in qualifying, Tunisia. Um, I am, again, just not terribly intimidated by them. They're going to be in pot three. And, you know, they're a team that the United States should be thinking like, oh, I would like infinitesimally rather draw Tunisia than Serbia, Morocco, South Korea, Poland, Japan, Iran, or Senegal. Um, but we'll get to the draw in just a second. Um, Cameroon and Ghana 
the other two teams that qualified, um, Cameroon and, and Ghana, both teams with really, you know, talented rosters that I think will be excited. I mean, we could see, uh, is it weird? And maybe this is recency bias because of AFCON, but I really think that we could see a te- one of these five teams, like probably Senegal, go like really far in this tournament. And maybe that's just me, but, you know, the way the Senegalese team plays and with the amount of talent they have in their midfield and up top, they could be like the best African team at a World Cup since we've been born. Yeah, I mean, the Senegal team on paper is really, really good. And so that plays well. And they have attacking players that can, you know, score on their own and get things done. And sometimes in international soccer, that's just what you need. It's not the most organized form of soccer. You don't have as much training together. And sometimes it just comes down to, can one person just get that single crucial goal in a knockout stage when it's always kind of crazy, you know, like in the group stage, goals can be like moderately free flowing, but the way sort of the score lines become much more one zeros or two ones in the knockout stage is pretty dramatic because people just double down. And so I think having a player like Mane um, is, yeah, and, is just and, really valuable. And also with guys like Koulibaly at the back, um, you know, one of the best center backs in the world. And then Edward right. in net, um, who is sneaky 30 years old uh, as of as of really? a few weeks huh. ago. Yeah, um, you know, this is a team that's in a, a bit of a golden generation themselves. Uh, but that brings us to, I think, the most fun part of this World Cup hypothesizing, where <laughs> we get to look at the potential draws um, and to go over this. So pot one, you have Qatar, the hosts, Brazil, Belgium, France, Argentina, England, Spain, and Portugal. Pot two, Mexico, Netherlands, Denmark, Germany, Uruguay, Switzerland, the United States, and Croatia. Pot three, you have Senegal, Iran, Japan, Morocco, Serbia, Poland, South Korea, Tunisia. And pot four, Cameroon, Canada, Ecuador, Saudi Arabia, Ghana, and then that last team from UEFA, um, and then the winners of those two playoffs, like you mentioned before. So I have here um, a simulator in front of me, and I'm going to go through it once. And I just want to, we'll go through these possible um, these possible permutations and, uh, all right, here's, and of course we just got blessed with, this is, this is fantastic. So in group a, which <laughs> this is, this is actually something that I could totally see happening in group a, we have Qatar, Mexico, yeah. Tunisia, and the UEFA, the last UEFA team. So okay. either Ukraine, Scotland, or Wales, this mm-hmm. checks out to me because we all remember the, t- the, the group that Russia got back in 2018, uh, uh, which yeah. had, I think, the lowest qualifying coefficient of any group in World Cup history. Um, but yeah, Qatar, so Mexico, bad. Tunisia, and then the weakest UEFA team would be a very favorable group for the hosts. And uh, we could absolutely see something like that. Um, group B would have a ton of storylines. France, Croatia, Senegal, and then the winner of Peru and uh, Peru slash uh, UAE slash Australia. Yeah, UAE slash Australia. Uh, That could be pretty fun. But then Caleb, this is the group that would really catch my eyes. (laughs) Oh God. Belgium, the United States, Serbia, and Ghana. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Obviously this is just a hypothetical and there are, you know, a ton of permutations, but 
Belgium and the United States played that crazy game back in oh. 2014 where Tim Howard set the World Cup record for most saves what, 13 game. saves or yeah, something? Yeah, 13 saves in that yeah. game. Um, Serbia, who are going to be a really tough team to play, who have an interesting geopolitical relationship with the United States. Ghana, who the United States has seemed to play in every World Cup. Uh, this would be full of bangers. Uh, I would not the last it. one, but but any World Cup we're in, we, we play them. Uh, yeah, uh, well, obviously. Um, this draw is fantastic. If we get this draw, I'd be so happy uh, because the next group, Group D, Argentina, Switzerland, Morocco, and Canada. That could be really fun. Mm -hmm. uh, group E, Portugal, the Netherlands, Japan, and then the winner of uh, New Zealand and Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Okay. Uh, which, which could be fun. And then the group of death, Group F, Spain, Germany, South Korea, Ecuador. And Germany oh. always seems to get these terrible groups. Um, and maybe it's some sort of, you know, karmic permutation <laughs> for, uh, you know, 1942 onward. Yeah, they have a few more World years. Cups to go. Yeah, exactly. Before. Exactly. Um, but that could be really fun. Um, as far as uh, offense goes, you've got Brazil, Denmark, Iran, Cameroon, uh, and then England, Uruguay, Poland, Saudi Arabia to wrap it all up. I, I guess in, in running through these draws, what really sticks out to me is the fact that like we're going to get some absolutely crazy matchups. And maybe we get this in every World Cup, um, but it does seem to me that the teams that qualified this time around are particularly compelling. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I have, I don't have the list of previous World Cup teams in front of me, but it just seems like a generally very strong group this time around, and I think, especially, you know, at the top of the men's sort of rankings, which right now the top ten is Brazil, Belgium, France, Argentina, England. Italy, Spain, Portugal, Mexico are actually nine. That's kind of interesting. Um, Netherlands, 10. I think especially amongst those, you know, top few, um, they will all really like their chances because I don't think, unlike say the Euros or in like the last World Cup, there isn't necessarily a quote unquote complete favorite, like one that's way ahead of the others. I think Brazil, Belgium, France, Argentina, England, maybe even Spain, although they're still, I think, on the younger end, are all very, very, very competitive. Um, and I think that's especially what makes this an exciting World Cup is that I'm really not sure who I'm going to put like my money on. As yeah, I mean, and you look at the fact that, you know, Germany and the Netherlands are in pot two, which again is, is only their right. own fault for how they've done in qualifying and stuff the last couple of years, but right. Germany and the Netherlands in pot two, even Mexico um, at the top of pot two are all very strong teams. Um, and there are going to be storylines like Portugal. It's likely Ronaldo's last world cup, you know, and, and Ronaldo Good. and Messi, Good. Um, you know, both in their, in their, I guess, waning stages of their career. That'll yeah. be a storyline. Um, you've got England who are, probably on their best sort of overall playing the best they've played overall in a really like since 2006 um and, and you know they're they are a, a team that is going to have uh top caliber talent in the prime of their careers this time around um you know could this be make or break time for gareth southgate uh 
The Netherlands, who have underperformed for a while, are looking pretty good right now um, and have, in my opinion, the best center back in the world. They're a pot two team. The United States being back, I think, is great because it, it's a draw. And, um, you know, people, particularly in Europe, still doubt, I think, the pedigree of the United States on the international stage. And to be fair, after Trinidad and Tobago, you can't necessarily blame them. Um, but, you know, that's another that's another storyline. France, um, you know, can they do it again? I, I'm almost positive they'll be, I mean, France and Brazil should be the betting favorites to open things up. Uh, yeah. But then you've got- And France with yeah. Benzema too. Yeah. Is, and, is and, tantalizing. And, and, and then you've got, you know, but depending on the players who move this summer, like it's going to be crazy. And Canada and pot four uh, with Alfonso Davies will be fun. Pot three top to bottom is just stupid strong. I don't know. I'm very excited, even though, um, you know, I think at some point we'll have a conversation, the three of us about maybe the, um, the sort of morality and, and I guess the, the ethical issues that are surrounding this world cup from, yeah, I think today, today we're very much focusing on like the sporting dimension. Um, but obviously international tournaments do not exist in a vacuum. Um, perhaps especially now. So because of course, uh, you know, Russia would have been potentially, you know, part of the, these last round of European qualifiers, but were removed. So there's a lot of other storylines, but I think right now we're just kind of talking about the raw who's in, who's out. Um, what could it look like? Yeah. And when do we find out? Is it tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow is the draw. Um, and this is one of those weird times where it's like we had to record right now, but all of our speculation about like the different storylines, uh, you know, unless, we will actually be able unless to the way them. they do it is that they just look at someone who uses whatever simulator website you use and then they just use that to assign it. Um, yeah, but uh, I mean, don't be surprised when Qatar gets an easy group because that's what happens. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think another winner uh, are fans who don't have an international break to worry about uh, until June, which is huge Good. Um, Good. because we've got seven weeks left of the domestic football season and Oof. there's a ton, uh, a ton to play for. Everyone is back in action this weekend. Dortmund, Leipzig, Liverpool, Watford, uh, Caleb for you, Barcelona, Sevilla in what is a game yeah. that... Um, I think will be a big test because Barcelona would actually move into second place uh, with a win uh, and they would still have a game in hand uh, over Sevilla in that one. And then mm -hmm. Arsenal take on Crystal Palace next Monday before uh, we're back with more Champions League, um, you know, quarterfinals next week. So it's a crazy time to be alive and uh, <laughs> we may as well leave it here. And, and hopefully next time we have the full three-man booth to discuss some changes like the introduction of five substitutes the Premier League for next year. But Caleb, is there anything else that you want to add before we uh, say adieu? No. I mean, I hope I hope the U.S. gets a solid draw tomorrow um, and forward, onward. Onward, indeed. Well, that will do it. Uh, I have been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Brits. And we will see you all next time.